Hello, everyone. Welcome to Three Way Podcast, episode number 10. All right, we have a very special guest today, Julio Flores. He's a showrunner, executive producer of Flores and Friends, which is a late night TV show like Jimmy Kimmel's. And you can find uh, Flores and Friends on Amazon. So definitely check Julio out. Julio, welcome to our show. Welcome, Thank Julio. You. you know, it's funny. You, e- you emailed me yesterday and said, I don't know if you heard about me doing a podcast. And I said, yeah, but I didn't respond. I said, sure. But inside <laughs> my head, I was like, I listen to the podcast. What are you talking about? I, <laughs> I was wondering when you're going to ask me to come on. <laughs> we, we actually started scheduling a lot of people getting in a line because uh, we are still uh, a small production to say. Very. So we're looks tackled. pretty big here. Yeah. yeah. Tell you, if you guys Thank are listening, you. it looks like a pretty big production. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. So uh, this is actually, I want to talk about the setup a little bit. This setup is way different because we used to be uh, – angled in a way where it's like a circular table yeah yeah and i found that a lot of the guests uh tend to look at you when you're doing the podcast and they take uh well they turn the opposite direction and they're not talking to the mic so i'm like let me sit well up, they're like, gonna look at you either way but like they kept because well, we're like one i'm on one side and he's on another side so when they move the the, the sound was kind of going yeah. left to right. and he's guilty for uh, that i've done that well, too, his, yeah. You talk to anyone in broadcasting, and I'm friendly with the mic, so yeah. I would never have done that. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even look at you the whole time. I should have had intimacy with my mic. <laughs> but it sounds nice, like I when know. you really speak into like quality. when you hear your voice. Yeah. So Julio, um, your experience actually goes way back uh, yeah. from radio. Um, so let's talk about that. Well, I basically when I was a little kid, like seven years old, I knew I wanted to do radio. Uh, my mom related this story. She goes. Uh, you were saying that uh, you couldn't wash the dishes because you're listening to the radio. She goes, you can take the radio in the kitchen and go ahead and listen to the radio. And I said, Mama, you don't understand. The radio needs me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I actually went to Fullerton College to learn radio. Uh, actually, a lot of L.A. radio people actually came out of that, that college. Um, my first radio job was actually I uh, was graduating, and I still didn't have a gig. And I'm thinking, oh, man. I rode the Greyhound bus to Santa Maria from a group in Orange County. Okay. Uh, it took me nine hours to get there. I would do three shifts on the weekend, stay in a motel, and I lost $50 a week just to do radio. Wow. But I was like, man, I'm on the radio. And it was a country FM and a Nostalgia AM, which is like big bands. Two formats. I don't like it all. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I was on the radio. Three months later, uh, I was sending resumes out. I got a call from a station in San Diego. So pretty big jump. And I was there for four years uh, in San Diego and then uh, came back to L.A. I worked at a small station up in Santa Clarita and one here in the Valley. And then I got a call from uh, 97.1 KLSX. Um, that was a different station back then, yeah, right? Yeah, and so uh, that was a classic rock station, which became the FM talk station, and I was there for a little bit, and then uh, I also was at The Wave uh, for four years, uh, Coast 103 mm-hmm. uh, for three years, uh, KSCA FM 101.9, which was like a, was, it's called a AAA format, and Gene Autry owned that station. Cool little story, I grew up in Orange County, obviously an Angel fan, Gene Autry was the owner. And um, so he would go ahead and he gave the boss of the station tickets. And he, the boss told me one morning when he came and he goes, I don't really like baseball. So if you ever want to go see the game, let me know. I got four tickets. And so we'd go all the time, second row behind the Angels dugout. 
It's a great sign, <laughs> sign me up, right? That's a great so uh, when you were in San Diego, how did you get your uh, start? Wait, what position did you uh, was held for you? Like, what did you do? Were you an intern or? Uh, no, I was on the air. Uh, so, but I did overnights, and that was at a time where uh, you, there was jocks on around the clock, twenty four seven. And again, I still didn't have a car, and I lived in Anaheim. And I remember when I did weekends, I took that Greyhound bus or the train to Oceanside, and I'd ride my skateboard to the radio station. And my boss, uh, who I still keep in touch with, lives in North Carolina. He always laughs and says, do you still take your skateboard to the radio station? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, it sounds like you're definitely passionate about the position because uh, it's not easy just getting to work. And uh, No, no, but uh, you, you know, at the time, I remember many people would drive far just to be on the air. And then, uh, you know, my goal, when I, when I was in San Diego, I put a map of Los Angeles on my wall. And I knew that's where I wanted to go. Um, and so... That's a great city, though. I, lo I, love, I love San Diego. Yeah. Uh, but the point in San Diego is the, uh, the bosses say, uh, it's pretty here, so we don't have to pay you. Wow, <laughs> Sad to say, there's some radio stations where you could be making more working at McDonald's. <laughs> you may have all the fame and... You know, be able to go to parties and get free concert tickets, et cetera. But, you know, you're eating macaroni and cheese and tuna fish and, and that kind of better. stuff. Yeah. And so then in, um, I had a chance to go to Fox Sports Radio, uh, which is on all across the country on 400 stations across America. Now, I was a music jock, so I didn't know much about talk radio. Uh, I was actually kind of afraid of it because I thought, oh, I don't know how to talk for hours and hours. But you have like a really great uh, radio voice. Like oh, it's, thank it's you. really nice. Um I don't it just kind of evolved there. I listen to old tapes of myself like when I'm on the wave and I'm, I sound like a little kid. <laughs> 947 <laughs> the wave and I'm like I suck, you know. So it just ends up you, your your voice kind of just evolves. It's nothing that you end up having from the beginning. Uh it just takes time to uh evolve. Uh but I never I my goal was to be on LA radio, not nationally. I remember the first, and I was really uh, one of the producers. And so I I'd be answering the calls and I was, you know, part participating on the show too. And I, oh, here's a call from Eugene, Oregon. Here's a call from Boston. And I would get nervous thinking oh, we're on all around the country. This is not, some scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. Not only all around the country, actually could hear us all around the world. We were on World Space Satellite Radio, which was over Asia, Africa, and Europe. And even the um, servicemen who were in other countries in Afghanistan could hear us on Armed Forces Radio. They could hear us on the aircraft carriers in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on Fox Sports Net. That's huge. And we would get, uh, you know, sailors that would text message because we had that or email and say, thanks, guys, for reminding me of home. I'm in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on an aircraft carrier. I can't say which one it is, but... Yeah, you know, I'm great. here, and thanks, you know, like, I'm practically crying hearing about my home team. Yeah. So did you actually go to school uh, for, uh, well, a radio personality or broadcasting or? Yeah, I, I did. I went to Fullerton College and took their radio program. But the thing about it is that I actually went ahead and was already doing radio in Orange County since the time I was 14. Uh, what basically happened, I walked into a radio station that was my local station, and I pass by every day on the way to school or and back home and i just decided to knock on the door one day and i was like hey hey i want to be on the radio and the receptionist kind of laughed at me like hey that's cool join the let list. me go get the boss <laughs> boss comes out like hey dude hey this little talk to this little kid he wants to be on the radio hey little kid come on in 
And so went back, and he's like, yeah, this is the music library. Oh, pretty cool. You have an internship program at your school? I'm not even in high school. <laughs> and, well, that's and I, impressive that he actually even did that, though. Yeah. Wow. And I said, well, yeah, um, I didn't even know what it was, but I just said, yeah, we have an internship program. And he couldn't just Google something back then. So, <laughs> Well, you had to drive, so I think yeah. that was the biggest uh, factor there. Because like, you have a kid where he's not old enough, but he's he has the pa he's passionate about what yeah. he wants to do. So that's very important. Exactly. And so then I go ahead and um, one week he says to me, hey, you're 16 now. You can be on the air. Hey, someone got sick who can't do Saturday night, 7 to midnight, can you? And I was like, oh, you know, I don't have a way to really get to the station other than walking. And I... And it'll be night. I said, well, I, I, I got to ask my mom. <laughs> so I said, hey, mama, is it okay? You know, you know, I'm not going to be somewhere bad. You could turn on the radio and I'm there, you know. So she lets me. So he thought I was 16, but I was really 14. I said, oh, yeah. He goes, uh, yeah, you, obviously you don't have a license or anything. So don't worry. We're just going to pay you 1099, you know, that kind of thing. So um, a few years later when I met Ryan Seacrest, he told me that, same thing happened to him in Atlanta. He was 14. He just kind of walked into the station. And same basic story. So how does legal actually work at that age? They Obviously, they have contracts to deal with and all this stuff. Well, not necessarily. Back then, all radio stations were mom and pop operations. It was like, you know, you have a friend who owns a donut shop. <laughs> That's what radio was like. So companies could only own 12 stations. So most radio stations were owned by mom and pop operators. So it was sort of like, ah. He's just here. He's he's Doesn't already really been matter. here a few. Yeah. I don't even remember how long I had been there. Maybe a few months, maybe a year, year and a half. I don't know. So everyone knew me, and they just you know I was tall. So you always think people think you're older than you are. Yeah. You know, and and I was still in junior high, <laughs> middle school. You know. Yeah. So is uh, radio? Uh, would you say radio is easier today, or is it always been the same? Like same uh, difficulty to break into the industry. Oh, there's no work in radio anymore. Um, I feel bad for a lot of people that take a lot of radio classes in school because the reality is there's board op jobs where you're just running the board and it's paying a minimum wage. And, you know, there's a lot, I say about 70 to 80% of all the radio jobs have been eliminated because the radio stations can go ahead and own as many stations as they want and they bought too many. And they overpaid, and so they can't afford to have employees. So computers just play the music. There's satellites, and so the same talk shows on hundreds of stations. Uh, one jock will voice track uh, dozens of other stations. So it's not the same anymore. Do you feel like uh, that kind of gave uh, birth to podcasters? Um, I think one thing that radio forgot was that they thought they could just be a jukebox and get away with it and so technology advanced and so people felt they could do it themselves still the perception in radio is that this is beneath them uh podcasting yeah. so they're sh they're not quick to take advantage of it mm -hmm. um now the cpm which is cost per thousand i believe is like around 30 35 dollars an hour uh, per thousand in advertising yeah. so the cpm for broadcasting is higher than radio now and now radio's starting to go oh wait a sec uh there was a guy named norm pattis who started a company called westwood one and they did most of the syndicated radio shows he started a, co a company called podcast one because he already knew all the advertisers in new york and so he's company's doing well by having advertising for podcasts 
for people that were in radio or currently in radio or for celebrities. So he's doing pretty well uh, with the concept. So it's it's garnered a lot more attention. I think uh, there's a lot uh, for drama podcasts. Um, Endeavor, which is uh, William Morris's company, uh, they're developing podcasts into TV series, and other companies are doing that as well. Uh, new show, Julia Roberts Homecoming, that was really a podcast. Limetown is a show that's going to be, I believe, on Netflix. Um, and uh, Dear John, that is a podcast from a company called uh Wonder, I believe, is the name of the company. Uh, that's actually a, technically a Foxic representative who now started his own company. And a lot of those shows are becoming. Um, that's on Bravo. It's being adapted into. Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, in about a week, I'm going to be. Uh, I wrote a script called The Pretender. It's uh, a psychological thriller. And I loved old-time radio, but technically these performing arts podcasts is technically old-time radio, yeah. just with a modern flair. Yeah. And it's just like radio. It's like a radio play, basically, but people don't call it that. They call it a performing arts podcast. So in order to garner attention, I'm going to release this movie script in six podcasts and you know, try to do the same thing, garner attention. And the reason why a lot of the producers and working in TV now they want to go ahead and have whether it's like a graphic novel, like when we see the how The Walking Dead became yeah. a mm -hmm. series because it already had a following. Um, same thing with these podcasts is they already have a following, so producers say, "Hey, okay, I could probably get some money for doing this because it already has a following." Yeah, I feel like that's the thing now, uh, and like you said, even for movies, like uh i see a lot of films being made and uh, most of it i f i feel like is from novels they're being adapted into feature films which are incredible and i'm sure original contents are still uh, produced but not at that volume where it used to be where you would have a lot of uh, original content being out there well th there's a lot of, i feel like there's a lot of great material out there so i mean Instead of just remaking things, or I guess you could take a little story or a novel and make it into a full production. But the podcasts, I, I don't think I've ever heard those um, that are like uh, shows or like that sounds interesting. Yeah, right? it's like a story you're listening to. And so you close your eyes and you hear the sound effects and you go ahead and hear the music. Uh, we did uh, just for one of uh, classes, uh, we it was uh, motion picture sound. I, I made, uh, I always loved. Ray Bradbury as an author, and uh, Mars is Heaven was an old-time radio show. Uh, I think it was, um, I forget the name of the the show it was called that it was on, but so we did a modern-day adaption. Uh, if you go look, uh, type my name, Julio Flores, Mars is Heaven, into YouTube, you'll be able to hear that production, and so it's just really lush when people hear it, damn, this is like so incredible. That's interesting, though. Yeah. So, how, uh, like you said, uh, for ESPN, how was that transition? Because, like, going from uh, just radio talk to uh, mostly talking about sports, et cetera, is that what uh, you did talk about sports? Or was it, did it have some kind of uh, similarity in a sense? Well, you know, it was interesting because um, when I went there, there's a, a, a company called Premier Radio Networks. And uh, it's in Sherman Oaks, and they do a lot of syndication. So I went to interview uh, for a producer for Dr. Laura, uh, who was a, a talk show host. She's most on, only on XM Sirius, but previously she did. It's like uh, you know, advice, relationships, yeah. that kind of stuff. Kind of like a Dr. Drew, I guess. Or? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, 
And I could tell the guy that was interviewing me wasn't thinking that I was a good match. But he goes, uh, hey, you know much about sports? And as we well know, as if you ever had any training in for radio TV film, they always tell you, just say yes, and you'll figure it out <laughs> later. You know? I go, oh, yeah, I do. Well, let me introduce you to the operations manager at Fox Sports and <laughs> see what you can do. So I, you know, I go down there, and I bring in my resume, and he introduces me. And, well, you know, you've done a lot of stuff, and you're really overqualified for being a board op. But, you know, come in, and we'll have you do other things. I'm like, All right. So uh, I came in as a board op, but later, you know, produced and edited sound and, you know, PR stuff. And then basically when every show's on, there's a host, there's a sports update guy, a board op and a producer, but technically all four people participate. And so as you kept going along, you sometimes maybe you didn't have the producer. Now you're producing and running the board and, uh, you know, et cetera, that kind of, so then all of a sudden, whoever's your host may like to throw to you sometimes because you got a good take. Yeah. So then I just started, even though I wasn't quote unquote a host, it was like I was a co-host because I would talk all the time. And then all of a sudden you're on 400 stations. We were on the, uh, we're on even on a lot of FMs, FM sports stations around the country, like the Cowboys station. Um, and then in Boston, we were actually on the station called WEEI, which had the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins, uh, Boston College. And I'm telling you, even though I haven't been at Fox Sports for a little bit, I'll get requests from Boston as if I was part of their community. You know? That's huge. So I have to be, even though I'm an Angel fan, I have to be a pseudo Red Sox fan and not a Yankee fan. Because <laughs> Fox Sports was never on in New York. Yeah. So. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the transition in regards to your question, sorry to, to get away from it. Basically, I remember talking to a guy, his name was John Fricky. He was on a station called the Mighty 690 in San Diego, which was a sports station at the time. And I said, John, I'll have to, uh, I want to make a demo and, you know, for sports and, you know, and sometimes I'm talking more times. I'm co-hosting a lot of times. Like, what do you do when you host a show? He goes, here's the secret. Uh, you tell your producer. Let's say go to ESPN.com or FoxSports.com. Pick five to seven of the top stories. Read those stories. Even print them out, underline them. And that's your monologue, okay? And then every hour, because you're on for four hours, your monologue starts over. Blah, 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 blah. You go through the whole thing. And you tell the producer what anybody calls. We're only talking about these five stories. So by the end of that show, you are an expert of those five stories. And whenever you go ahead and you run out of things to talk about, you go to a call. That's like going to a song. <laughs> wow. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And so uh, that now I feel very confident that I could do general talk, relationship talk, whatever. It's just, just talking. Because before, when you do music radio, you're kind of stuck in the sense that people think that uh, you're, uh, you, know, you only talk for you know how long the intro is, 20 seconds, and then you get out. Because it's not cool to go longer. You know? Well, it's great for experience, yeah. but like, uh, do you get burnt out? Like when, or like how much could you do as a radio? Uh, like if you're producing the show, you're a host, you have so many titles. Um, of course you get burned out and hopefully you get some days off or vacation and that kind of stuff. But the reality in radio, there's, you know, you work holidays, uh, you know, yeah. sometimes you might work six days and, and that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you're really into something, it doesn't seem like work. You know, sure. As um, long as you're, I feel like it's like a passion, or you're really enjoying it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It doesn't feel, even though you could put in long hours or work holidays, 
But yeah. I noticed, uh, speaking of the halt, like uh, I listen to K Rock a lot and Kevin and Bean Show, mm-hmm. which. Uh, for holidays, they would just rerun like recorded ep- like uh, recorded episodes. So well, I'm, I'm guessing they all do that. Yeah. Uh, well, for example, ninety two point three. A lot of them do that on the weekends. What they film uh, on the weekdays, they basically replay but not even rerun weekdays, it on yeah. the weekends. Yeah, they'll bring back like old shows because they do a lot of funny stuff. Like they do like skits and stuff like that. So I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. You yeah. can't be doing uh, like constantly twenty four hours. Yeah. Well, I used to produce Stern, and so. I think even Stern has in his deal now. I think uh, he gets like two or three months off a year. So a lot of those. How shows was working were, for like just that show, Howard Stern's show? I mean, I was working for it when it was on terrestrial radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I. It mean, wasn't like any like it wasn't R rated or mature themed as it is now. Like on no, because that's obviously why he got fined so many times yeah. by pushing the limit. The one thing about Howard, it's so funny because he said. The reality, I'm just playing a seventh grader who just learned about sax. That's who he's playing. And he's actually a pretty conservative guy. His his thing was that when he would go home, he just wanted to go hang out and play on the computer for the weekend because he was just so wiped out. Yes, yeah, get getting away up. from... Yeah, and that kind of was hard on his marriage. It wasn't like he was a player or anything. In fact, it would be like when, you know, let's say some hot girl came in, whatever, and then... And then, you know, you'd hear when the mic was on, like, ooh, ooh, but as soon as she was gone, it's like, dude, lice doll this place down because, man, who don't know if that girl had something and <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> so very conservative guy. Oh, it wasn't like he, he was a professional. Yeah, yeah. So he's just playing an act. That's but all he's a is. good, like, he's a he's huge. I, I feel like in this yeah. industry, he's huge. Oh, yeah, totally. And the good thing about the the satellite radio for him is, there is no limit to what he could do or say, pretty much. That's why he'll never go back to regular radio. Because, like, uh, yeah, you have uh, something that's uh, heavily regulated, and now uh, what, whatever platform he's on, he has the opportunity not to pay so many fines because, like, that's millions of dollars he just spent a year just on saved. Yeah, yeah. And he's making way more money doing on satellite, satellite radio. radio, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, advertising is like the biggest deal. Same thing with YouTube and uh, like. I think all the biggest thing on on the satellite shows. for I think satellite radio, it's pretty much Howard Stern. Like I feel like I'll I'll, I'll give you a good example. Like my friends, the only reason they have for I think it's XM satellite or what's the other one? XM satellite. What's all that radio? Series. Series. Yeah. 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 The only reason they have that is for the Howard Stern show because yeah. they enjoy it so much. Like, yeah. The music and all that. Yeah, it's cool because uh, you get. It's not censored, or yeah. if whether you're listening to hip hop or trance or any type of uh, uh, music, but uh, they mostly listen it for for the Howard Stern show. Yeah, well now they merged. So XM and Sirius are together now, so oh. they're owned by the same company. So, so they're getting that. better reception. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the reason why I say that is oh. I remember when we had satellite, well, series in the car. Sirius, yeah. We would go to like areas where it was garage areas, or like you lose. It was, no, not even garage. Like I was driving down the street, like it would cut off sometimes. I would <laughs> that get so was mad. annoying. I'm like, what's the point of paying for this uh, <laughs> satellite radio off. to get cut yeah, off and man. can't hear the show? It, it, yeah, Sirius had worse signal, and uh, yep. XM always had like what's called terrestrial antennas in different places. Uh, to try to make up for the bad spots, mm. so that's that's a must for every. So I'm sure signal wise they're probably better. Mm. When you were working for Howard Stern as a producer, right? Uh-huh. Were you there actually when the show was being recorded, everything, or so uh, basically I was here at the LA station, yeah, uh, ninety-seven point one KLSX. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was in New York, 
Um, and but there's this thing called ISDN, so that uh, it makes it sound like you're actually there. So a lot of times, what would happen is interviews might be done here, and the person would really be here, and Howard would be in New York. But then Howard would come to LA and visit. So you know, we'd obviously host, or we'd actually have the show at at, at a you know like a club, like. Mm. The Roxy, the Troubadour, House of Blues. I'm sure you'd get a lot of people coming to, to listen for sure. Oh man, the lines were around the block. People wouldn't get in. So, but I mean, it was it was crazy. Remember when Howard went ahead and hosted something in Central Park? You know, it was millions of people came, and so yeah, it was definitely uh, crazy times. Because if you ever saw the movie Private Parts, yeah, that was actually uh, a thing where I think a lot of people ended up liking Howard more after that, where they didn't like him too much it's kind of like uh maybe people don't like lady gaga and now they watch the star born is they're like oh i, I still i, I got lady a gaga, you know? have you seen I, I haven't seen it it I is see a remake it. it is a remake from it's really good it's like actually. a third remake isn't it yeah judy garland i think was in the first one yeah and then barbara streisand yeah, the, second the second one, one and that kind of stuff so um you know people just didn't understand that howard was just trying to shock people there was that term shock jock there was actually some jocks that were worse than him um, that, you know, maybe didn't all, they got fined too uh, by the FCC. So we're just people pushing the limits. The only thing that I thought was cool was that being an on-air personality too, is that if Howard moved the bar this far, then everybody in the middle could move a little that way too. You had a little <laughs> wiggle yeah. room. Yeah. 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 So that's incredible. So Flores and Friends, how how did you come about uh, creating uh, this uh, incredible late night pop show? <laughs> a complete accident. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's always an accident. Yeah, like for instance, uh, being at Fox Sports, that was a complete accident. I only wanted to do LA radio, but to be able in the national was a really good thing. But uh, uh, so when the recession happened around, you know, uh, 08 yeah. to 2012 or whatever, I got let go at Fox Sports and we probably got 75% of the staff got. How many go. years were you uh, there? I was there for five years. Yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, we had a boss who had cancer, um, pancreatic cancer. He still lasted a long time, but a new boss came in. And typically in radio, when a new boss comes in, you know, your your time is limited. Cause is it because, like, they're usually coming in with their own crew? And- exactly. I'm not going to say they distrust the new people, but... You'll be there if you do a lot of stuff. I, I wore a lot of hats there, so I got to stay a little longer than most people. But once you teach the new people the ropes, and You're replaced. then you know you get replaced. And so I decided to um, go back to school. Uh, a friend of mine had suggested it, and I had didn't want. I said I already been to school. I don't want to do that again. That's stupid. I used to think it was stupid for people to go back to school. And he told me something about grants, and I was like, Yeah, but you got to pay that back. And he was, No, no, you don't. And I'm like. It's a federal wow. grant. <laughs> yeah, I said, wait a sec. Are you telling me, like, you can go back to school and get paid to do it tactically? <laughs> so that's what I did. I thought, okay, I'm going to find out audio's application to TV and film. And uh, so I, I took a, a class called Understanding Movies, uh, officially called Cinema 107, uh, with a guy named Eric Swolstead. <laughs> yeah, I know him. He was the head of the department at uh, Valley College, and I thought, Wow, this is kind of cool. I don't really know anything about film. Radio people don't like TV. They they're offended by it. Like like you know how baseball purists are. They didn't like uh, the instant replays and all that stuff or interleague yeah. play. Mm-hmm. That's the way radio people. Are. Well, purists. it's, it's kind of like uh, at Valley. Uh, you have the theater department with the film department. Yeah, and <laughs> so 
I notice now that I've had a chance to do TV stuff, you know, on Facebook, it was always like, if I got a new radio gig, hundreds of people, oh, congratulations. I do anything to do with the, the, the TV show. I don't hear one peep of my radio <laughs> friend. <laughs> but that's how we felt like when Ryan Seacrest flipped from Star 8.7 and started doing all his TV stuff. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a traitor. You know, that kind of thing. He's doing really good. Yeah, he is. Now. He's yeah. definitely he's a multimillionaire. So um, so what I decided, uh, hey, I looked at the, the degree for cinema. And I said, there's a ton of TV stuff in there. I'll just become a cinema major and see what happens. And then I uh, got to know a lot of the professors who are great people there, like Dan Watanabe. And uh, sure. a lot of the professors are you know, USC graduates at Valley College in Los Angeles. And we had grants for doing a bunch of different stuff. And I used to tell them before, I was like, hey, you know, why do we always interview film people when we have TV, voiceover, radio in in the curriculum, but we never interview any of those people. Why don't I host a show where I can interview all those people? Those are all my friends. <laughs> and it took like three years, and he, he finally said, yeah, we can do something. So we got all planned and hyped up, and like we said, there's always friction between departments, and then all of a sudden, we were awful the first show. Yeah, we couldn't get anything done. It was a disaster. <laughs> well, how hard is it to do pull off something like that? It, it's it's impossible. <laughs> I I think. Uh, and so what happened was, I believe uh, our our funder felt we can't pull this off. You know, it's it's just too much. So we had already kind of booked some other days, and so my closest friends from my film classes, we said, let's do this anyway. You know, it's like we felt we really had the programming done and the guests done. Techni technically, maybe we didn't have that going on. Plus, you you also have that factor of, like, being a student and uh, you yeah. get to get away with a lot of stuff using, like, certain locations, et cetera. Yes, and exactly. Um, and so we always felt like there was uh, someone throwing a monkey wrench in the bicycle spokes every time we did a show. Oh, we're not going to have equipment. We're not going to have people. I went ahead. You know, I was um, Chanel Prime is the director. David Novello is the first AD who, who helped out a lot on this. Uh, mutual friends of ours, and uh, we just said, let's find out what we have. So we sent out an email to all our friends. Hey, what do you have? Cameras, sound, lights, and we all kind of let's all put it together. The first show back, we had the seven cameras on the stage. Wow! <laughs> and all this stuff, and we just kept doing them every month. And we thought, wow, we're getting better. Uh, we had a friend uh, who we had met through some projects who was a comedian. Uh, he wanted to be the sidekick. And he had a friend who uh, is on Ray Donovan on Showtime, a guy named Mike McGill, um, and other Showtime shows. Uh, we got him to come on the show. I could tell he was very reluctant to do so. He's like, ah, some school project. <laughs> yeah. Who cares about that stuff? <clears throat> we have a hard time ourselves. I, like, I've been trying to pull in some guests myself to, like, yeah. that are in the industry. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. And so the next day, this guy from Ray Donovan says, emails me, goes, wow, I was very impressed by the professionalism of your staff. Mind you, these are all students. You know, we've just learned going over the years. And he says, when you guys are ready and you have a good pilot, would you give me a few DVDs? I'd like to show it to some people at Showtime. And 
you know, have some other eyes see it too. So I thought, wow, we must be doing something right to be doing this. Yeah, you're getting uh, noticed. Exactly. It's huge though, yeah. Yeah, and so then I went ahead and um, I became an Emmy member as a student, and I started going to their events for two years or so. Now everyone that goes, they don't know what your what it says on your little badge or whatever, your little card. They just figure, oh, you must be in the industry. So I got to know people through there. Uh, then we ended up being able to talk to someone at Amazon, so we got a, a distribution-only deal with them. Um, so um, it's still personally self-funded, but we were actually on the ballot for outs- uh, outstanding dramas, uh Variety series short form for the 2018. Congratulations! Yes. So, how hard was it to get it on? uh, Well, getting some sort of distribution deal with Amazon. Um, it wasn't really easy. I mean, it was just a connection that I met at the Emmys. Okay. Um, and so you know, all those things I notice in working and visiting people at the Emmy events is that none of that stuff is ever posted. It's just a who you know type thing, and then after a while, when you're at the events and you network, somebody says, oh, hey, this is this is my friend Julio. He does a show on Amazon. Oh, really? You know, that kind of thing. Um, they might not necessarily know who you are or the name of your show, but once you mention a big entity, uh, that's always helpful. So I'll, I'll say probably from when I learned in radio all the way up to here, you just got to go ahead and be cool with everybody. Don't be a jerk. If you burn your bridges... You're going to meet that person again. 100%. We, we used to always say that in radio that all the people that went up the ladder, you always saw them on the way back down. <laughs> so if you burn somebody, hey, you're going to see them again. Uh, there was one girl I worked with at one station uh, that was owned by Jean Autry, and she was difficult with everybody. Well, later on, I got to be in management, and she sent me resumes. And obviously, I didn't hire her because I knew what trouble she had caused yeah. a lot of people. So you have to be aware of those circumstances. Oh, you definitely have to be respectful and uh, be humble. Because uh, like you said, you never know who your boss is going to be. It could yeah. be the person you went to school with. or yeah. could be the intern. Literally. Exactly. That's Even be cool with the interns. Yeah, gonna... assistants. Like, even like as an as a actor, for example. What, like Let's say you go into an audition. Like the assistant like, that's waiting in the counter where you have to sign in. Like, you got to just treat everybody with the same respect, you know? Like, because literally maybe that intern is ends up being a casting director or maybe ends up being a producer or something like, you know, like, you just be a good person. Like, just treat everybody with respect same way you want to be treated, I feel like. And that's it. Like, I know I, I, I've, I've met people that don't do that. Like, I've or I've met people that are, that are a little bit like they might be good when they see you and talk to you, but like. They're, I don't know. I, I like the, like the fake people. Like I don't know. Like you see it in this industry. So, but uh, I always look at it like this. I'm gonna be treating everybody with respect as long as I get treated the same way. And if they don't, yeah, I would say in in going to the Emmy events, and maybe people are nice because they know that once their show ends, they they don't have a job. <laughs> but I would say the people that are working are actually the nicest people. The ones that aren't working, they're the ones that kind of have this jealousy thing. We saw that during the time that we've been doing Flores and Friends, and we've always been open to having anyone come and help us that wanted to, you know, create something. And it's really, yeah. I, I I may be hosting and show running, but if it wasn't for those 35 to 100 people who have helped during all these episodes, there would be nothing. Uh, so I got to hand it to them that they're the ones that put that uh, Flores and Friends on that ballot yeah. for the Emmys. And, you know, when, you know, I'm very excited about 
a lot of the streaming services that are starting with Viacom, AT&T, Apple, and of course we still have Netflix and Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, look at what Disney, Disney bought out Fox recently. Exactly. So I believe you know that we'll we'll have a chance to hopefully have some first takes on some of those streaming services. And so uh, you know when we get a really good deal, I obviously want to reward the people that have helped me during this whole time in oh, order to sure. to have Flourish and Friends. And it's 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 many times where since we weren't making any money on it. <laughs> and it was very time consuming. I didn't want to do it anymore. It was like, ah, this is dumb, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so easy. frustrating. Uh, and then I remember my director and my first AD were like, hey, what can we? Do? No, 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 you're not quitting. What can we do to help you out? And I will tell you, you know, for for a show that was built out of nothing, you know, uh, <laughs> it was sort of like I made a sandcastle. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's what we all did. Uh, you know, it actually has nice respect in the industry because I forget. The perception has shifted where we've been so used to broadcast television and the mm-hmm. cable networks that we don't realize that when you're on a streaming service, they disregard you as TV. I mean, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix are eligible for getting awards and have won awards. As well, I feel like they should be because they, they come up with a lot of original content like, yeah. and they're pushing like yeah. all that original material. and given chances and opportunities to like up and coming either actors or or uh, filmmakers a- anybody like a host whatever it yeah. may be i feel like it's 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 opened a lot of doors for sure there's a lot of people who don't have cable anymore they cut the cord and they only watch on streaming services yeah. well, obviously if there's going to be too many people are going to go wait a sec i pay 10 for this 15 for that and it's like that's as much as a cable bill that's what's eventually going to happen yeah but for now like I'll, I'll tell but you, but it'll still be cheaper. I feel, yeah, because like. average cable bills, like I don't know with us with internet, with uh-huh. like hundred fifty dollars. I think. Yeah, my son, his name's Benjamin. Uh, when he was twelve, well, he's always been to radio stations all the time. Uh, I remember the head of Fox asked him when we passed by one day. He's like, "Hey, you listen to your dad on the radio?" He goes, "No." Well, how come? <laughs> Radio's for old people. <laughs> and, and that was like, if you wanted to pay millions of dollars from a focus group for a different generation, that's what you would found out anyway. And what radio did is that they believed that everyone would still listen to them if they didn't have anyone on the air and they were just a jukebox. Well, that's no different than Spotify or Pandora. Exactly. Whoopie-doo. So a young person is going to say, hey, forget this. I'm not going to listen to all these commercials when I can yeah. just on demand listen to what I want to do. And then you know, he made a, my son made a point with me too because uh, I, to be honest with you, I didn't believe in podcasts. For a long time, I was like, "Oh, that's beneath what's, me." Yeah, you what's know? that? You know, that's like, well, does Jay Leno do a cable access show? That's not <laughs> cool. Like anyone can do a podcast. But he goes, "But Dad, it's like you watch you DVR TV shows, right?" And I said, "Yeah." He says, "All it is is audio on demand. That's all it is." And so I, I became convinced it's a good product. You know, that's 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 actually really nice to hear too. Like I never looked at it like audio on demand. That's that's. Mm-hmm. It's a good take, definitely. Well, every millennial, every kid in school, uh, just walking around the campus, everyone's on their phone. So just to have an application that you could literally stream, stream. it's so easy to use. And it's, like or you said, it's on demand. Not it's even incredible. to go far. Like living in L.A. or New York, for example, the traffic is horrible. Like on your what drive, like sometimes you get just tired of listening to music, you know? So yeah. you want to, like, like me personally, even before we started this podcast, I was listening to podcasts before because – it's 
a lot more interesting just than just sometimes listen to music. Because you get tired of listening to the music always, you know? Yeah, my my son's addicted to podcasts, so like I'll just let him he tells me what's the trend. And so that's kind of nice to be able to know. And then when uh I noticed from and then I got a chance to be a a tutor at Valley College for the cinema department and and I felt like I was watching a focus group and realizing that people in this generation of millennials they don't even watch TV the way other generations did. They're they're watching it on their phone. They're, Netflix, I don't even watch a regular show. I just, you know, maybe, I hate to say it, maybe they bit torrent, you know, and, and then they'll see The Walking Dead later. They don't, or, or an HBO show, Game of Thrones or whatever. Oh, yeah, binge watch a whole yeah. season. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll watch it on Netflix when the season's over and just <laughs> yeah. watch the whole thing. So it's really a different environment. I think it's great for, for new people and uh, people have new ideas. Uh, so I think Flores and Friends will, will ride that trend. So, um, you know, we're we're pretty happy we're having another show coming up January 4th. Uh, it's a live TV taping in Van Nuys. Uh, if you go to Eventbrite and just type in Flores and Friends, you can actually order free tickets to come and see the show. We're taping on a Friday afternoon nice. uh, at, a, at a hall in, in Van Nuys. Uh, it was actually doing a benefit. Uh, uh, it's a senior citizen center, and we thought it would be cool to kind of give back to the community that way. That's what we've been, we've been doing and going to some of these different places. And, and, you know, we did this one where uh, a senior living place that had tons of TV executives that are retired and they wanted to participate because they worked at Warner and, and Paramount and that kind of stuff. So yeah, sometimes talking to older ones, you learn a lot of things too. For sure. Know? They yeah. have all the wisdom and the mm -hmm. life experiences. You have an area where you could use that's uh, hopefully doesn't cost as much to rent a set or get a location. And yeah, not to again, not to also badmouth like schools, but uh, like <laughs> that's the that's the best school you could go to, like just to talk to veterans and like the people that experienced it, which route they took, which yeah. worked, what didn't, you know, like just to hear that is huge. It's, yeah. it's definitely a big deal, but I feel like you also have to experience it yourself. Uh, of course, it's uh, helpful. To get mm -hmm. the the knowledge, but you but you, you kind of see no, yeah. Too. When you get, when you hear their wisdom, like you kind of know what might work, what might not, and then you'll have a little bit of idea what to try. I guess not to hurt yourself too much when you're going down that path. That's definitely the plan. Make it easy as possible because <laughs> you you know uh, it's never gonna go perfect. No, yeah. no. There's I say every show we do. If you could actually, I always almost thought it'd be cool to do a reality show of our show of what it takes to lead up to it. Uh, because there's always disasters going on. People fall out. We had one show where it seemed that our staff got stricken by a stomach virus. And, you know, a few hours before I lost the makeup artist and, you know, our first AD and et cetera. And we weren't sure the director was coming, you know, and, <laughs> and it gets we, so stressful. Yeah. And there was always, you know, things happen where, you know, it's sort of like, um, what obstacle is going to happen? It's going to happen. Uh, so you just kind of get through it. And if you believe in something you're doing, you just keep going. And, you know, just, again, things happen by accident. I'll tell you another thing. I've, I never really been into acting. Uh, just wasn't my thing, but I took acting classes because of wanting to be a director. I wanted to be able to direct my actors and not think that, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know our language, you know, yeah. I want them to be able to have some respect. Well, uh, there's a series called Sangre Negra. It's on Amazon, and um, 
has Eric Estrada and Eric Roberts in it, and uh, Sophia Milos, who was on The Sopranos. Oh, and you were a guest on that show. I, I actually got to be, uh, now I have a recurring role. I, pre- I play nice. a professor on the series, and uh, <laughs> uh, it was a complete accident. The uh, A friend of mine is on the series, and he's one of the lead actors, and I asked him, like the second episode, could you have some of the actors from your series come on my show? And he goes, yeah, I'll ask. And then they came on, and then later we, uh, the producer called the next day and says, hey, all my actors are talking about some show called Flourish and Friends. What, what, what is this, you know? And then they came on, the producer and the director, on a later episode. And then they called me one day and they say, hey, you know what? We don't even know if you're an actor, but we love your persona on the show. And we have this character named Professor Nunez, and we would like you to be um, on the series. Yeah. We, we, we think that you're him. And I said, okay. So I go and I, I audition, and they're like, Wow. You're really good, you know, and I'm just thinking, I'm just learning from what the classes I took. Yeah. I, I go on set, and I do my scene, and it took a while to do, but I see other actors there who have seen in a lot of things, you know, those everyday actors. Yeah, yeah. And they go, man, you're really good. How long have you been acting? And I was like, uh, this Who is the, my first day. Three you know? hours. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so what I'm saying is that you never know what else is going to happen. Then we interviewed this other lady who's who's big in Spanish television. Turns out she... She has an agency, and she asked me, like, oh, you know, there's this one acting thing I need. I need you. I want to know if you're interested in. I actually turned it down because I said, I'm not really an actor. You know, I'm just. And then it's actually a series that's big on Armenian TV. Oh, yeah. And I guess they were going to dub it, but I was still going to be in speak English. I guess they have it mixed. Yeah, yeah. There is a couple, I think, uh, novellas they, that they show on Armenian mm-hmm. channels. Yeah. And so then recently I, I took her to an Emmy uh, party for the writers, and I was trying to picture again, like, oh, I didn't even know what it was. And see, I said, I didn't mean to disrespect you, but I didn't really know you, and I didn't know it was legit or anything. What I'm my apologies to yeah. you, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, you know, and, and I said, I didn't want you to, because if someone says, send me my, you're, you're real, and I'm like, don't really have one, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just people helping out friends, and they have, you know, once you, start getting a little higher somebody has a new project or something and uh sometimes you'll just get imdb credit maybe you'll get a little bit of money but you know it's just kind of funny how it just kind of snowballs uh, yeah you have to be open and that's one thing i'm realizing like of course and i said this in previous episodes i want to i don't want to repeat myself and get (laughs) get the audience's ears bleeding but uh, i love writing i'm trying out acting now yeah representation um but yeah you just have to keep a open mind and try everything that uh, whatever is going at you. Works. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, is that show on Netflix right now? Uh, was this a Sangre? Sangre Negra. Uh, uh, no, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Uh, the okay. their first episode's on there. We did have a screening uh, at the at Warner Brothers Studios for... Is it a pilot or it's... It, it is a pilot, but now they have 10 episodes. And so they're actually trying to bring it somewhere else. Oh, um, there's another new series that's called The City. Uh, it it uh, The producers there have talked to NBC quite heavily uh, and Netflix, um, and they're going to come on the show pretty soon. But the, the, uh, the PR agent just told me, oh, he's looking for some other actors for his series. And so, again, I might have an opportunity to be on a series you know, just well, because of people you awesome. know. You're, Keep your uh, fingers crossed, do you, have an, you, you don't even have an agent. I don't have an agent. That's crazy, <laughs> you're, you're doing profit. Better, 100% profit. So I, this is one thing that people say is that they just say, hey, man, you're such a good guy. I really uh, enjoy your style. You're just good people, and I want to work with you. Because 
I would say, especially going back to school, that's one thing I noticed professors really stated is that people may, you may not be able to get to pitch your project the first, second meeting, but they're really trying to discern is what kind of person you are. Would I want to work with this person every day? Because in, in TV and film, you're working 19, 20 hours a day sometimes. Definitely. So they want to know if you're a jerk. Just tell me up front, you know, don't. Don't be all sugarcoaty and, oh, yeah. and that and kind of stuff. Ruin it for everyone else. Yeah. yeah, and your reputation will follow you. So if you're you're a troublemaker, someone will say, oh, yeah, man, nice. Uh, I would say uh, this. Uh, I, sh- I want to shoot a movie this summer. I shot it as a short film, 40 minutes, a uh, psychological thriller. My actors loved it so much and loved their characters and the twist. They said, if we shot 40 minutes, why don't you just make it into a movie? And yeah, so yeah. that's what we're going to do. and. Was that the short that uh, was the, uh, the uh, pretender? That was based. Was that based on like Armenian and uh, Mexican, or was that another? That's it. Okay. Yeah, and it was actually um, derived from some things I went through. I was dating an Armenian girl for a couple of years, and a, and that kind of stuff. So learned a lot about culture and that kind of stuff. Um, and so a lot of the scenes are actually real. <laughs> and so I remember the the girl who who does sound for Flourish and Friends. She also does sound for the movie. She's excellent. It's funny too. I'll tell you a roundabout story about that. Uh, her name is Jocelyn. She was actually at LA Film School, and one of the PR agents asked if she could come and intern in the sound department. That she was interning for her, but she didn't really able to give her much. I eventually made her the head of the sound department because she was so good. Uh, and very anal about sound like I am, and she'll get projects all the time based when when she drops it on her resume, I, you know, I'm the head of sound for Flores and Friends on Amazon. Boom, instantaneous freelance work. So, and remember, again, that's a nice story. She was freelance and she was just interning and now she's the head of the department. And uh, that's, a, that's a really big thing to have on your resume. It's like, kind of like having a lead actor role or something. Yeah. Like that. Now I forgot the original thing we were going to. <laughs> uh, it was your, uh, the presenter. Yes. So uh, she was working on the set. And so she was just thinking this was a, a movie about domestic violence, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, and it was just, like, eh, whatever, you know, this has been done. Then she realizes, wait a sec. Why is the husband talking? Why is this girl treating him this way? Uh, it, it, the movie is really about psychopaths. Uh, it's something we think is like people like Hitler and that kind of stuff. But psychopaths are really everyday people who are manipulating us, and we don't even realize it. And you don't learn that till the end. I'm not really giving the movie away. Yeah. I'm just saying that this is something that you should – we should all learn. And so when I originally wrote this script in, in, a, in a film class, the professor said, oh, your protagonist, which is your lead actor, is always supposed to be a different person by the end of the movie. Now, in this scenario, your lead actor doesn't change because she's a psychopath. But the audience learns from this. And he goes, this will be a big deal on film festival circuits because they love talking about stuff to do with mental illness. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I understand maybe people don't, can't control what they are and that kind of stuff. But for us, you know, you could practically, you know, dealing with someone like that, you know, you have no idea you're being manipulated and they could be cheating on you, sleeping with other people. You don't have any idea and that kind of stuff. But if you 
love Latino culture, Armenian culture. If you read the script and you see the film later, I'll, I'll tell you guys. I'll, if you allow me, I'll come on again. We'll talk yeah, about it. Yeah, of course. Because uh, I want to make this into a drama podcast, and hopefully it'll be huge and people will like, be excited about each episode. And So it's about 100 pages, so we're probably going to break it up to about six episodes. Nice. So we'll release that as drama podcasts and so, all the platforms. And you said you did it as a short. Uh, are, is that something that you want to uh, pitch? Uh, what Use that short as a pitching tool and get your work out there, or do you just want to keep it independent? and do the feature film um you know i love being a writer and that's why i'm actually in the writers group in the emmys even though i could be in the performers or producing i want to go ahead and be able to go to all those special invite things with writers that have and been around a long time uh and it was so funny because i went to the performers party at the emmys and everyone's dressed and you know looking hot and there's tons of people i go to the writers one and it's so quiet and <laughs> and I'm I'm with a stunningly hot girl from Spanish television yeah. and you know and I told her well you're gonna have to dress conservative okay and she goes okay no problem I wear a long dress you know and that kind of stuff but it was so funny because it was so so you know ding 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 dinner you know like oh you know like wow this is everyone's like seventy or older you know and, <laughs> you know <laughs> and I it's a and it's, crowd. yeah exactly so here's a story I was just telling her. One of our professors, Dan Watanabe, in going to the Emmy events, I met a lot of actors from the show Viva on Stars. Uh, great show. I didn't know much about it. Uh, there's a producer, uh, no, a showrunner named Tanya Siracho, also a showrunner named Gloria Kellett, who's on One Day at a Time, uh, the showrunner for that show. I went to a seminar uh, called Latinx, and they were talking about how they're unable to find Latin writers. And I was like, what? I just I was under this perception that man it's so hard to, hopeful, yeah. to get in because I've looked for Latin writers because I've heard of them writing short stories or poems and I'll contact through them through YouTube and Facebook and I'm like really and um, this lead actor uh, Michelle Prada uh, she auditioned for the show and is the lead actor in the series she didn't even have an agent <laughs> she just heard about it and then did a you know recorded audition Um, and so this is what they said is that they're having such a hard time finding latin writers so i became inspired in my mind to say i need to finish this movie script it's not necessary to pitch the movie though that would be wonderful but i want to get on one of these writing staffs of one of these uh showrunners that are really working hard to move forward latino issues yeah um they call it latinx now so there's it's non-gender. Definitely uh, use your experience as a tool to... Yeah. And so these showrunners said in the seminar is that they love to hire writers so that they can go ahead and make them a showrunner of another show because they have overall deals like with Netflix and yeah. Stars. And I thought, wow, I don't really hear people saying that. Usually it's like, this is my stuff and you know, I'm not going to try to be giving to anyone yeah. else. Yeah. So I was really impressed. So that's kind of like... I mean, I personally think that just like all these other things, I would get this connection, and then someone would make my movie anyway by accident. Because it's like, you know, I, I, I really liked your script, by the way. I mean, let me do that too. Okay. Well, there's always that chance, though. I mean, yeah. if you're in the right. I mean, you never know. You yeah. just have to act on it because I feel like everyone gets a shot. You just have yeah. to not let that opportunity be wasted. Be and present. Just jump and I guess on just, it. Just yeah, acknowledge. I don't. Uh, you know, I just feel we could go ahead and. Uh, I lost my thought. 
<laughs> It'll come to me later. <laughs> but that, that's, I mean, the parties you go to uh, for the Emmys, that's that's uh, really big, though. You're meeting a yeah. lot of people. That, that Is that difficult sure. to join, or how, how would that work? You have to be... Well, I originally involved. started as a as a uh, student membership, which technically anyone can do that. It's very limited. Uh, but then I just started meeting people. And then when I – so this this past year when I wanted to move up to real membership, because this is what a friend of mine, uh, she's uh, was on anger management. She had been in a lot of comedies. Yeah. And um, she said, oh, you should submit Florissant Friends to the Emmys. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? You know, she told me the procedure and da da da, da And I'm like, oh, okay. It was a pain in the butt, you know, I'm and I sure. had to get my <laughs> – so that I could be a real member, then like, oh well, technically you have been with us for a couple years. Uh, You're qualified, you know that kind of stuff. Well, you know, and then I had to submit all these records and all this stuff, and you know, show that I had some viewership and oh. and all this type of stuff. Because you know, Amazon, even though they have, I think the latest quote was 115 million people have Amazon Prime, but yet they're really tight with their numbers, and it could be because maybe they don't have as much as maybe. A broadcast television has, yeah. and that kind. Of, so they don't want to look stupid, and I understand that. But nevertheless, you know, things are changing. Uh, streaming services are really. I mean, I think it was uh, what was the last the Emmys? There was more streaming services and cable shows that were nominated as opposed to broadcast television. It wasn't that? Wow. I think This Is Us was the only one that really was from broadcast TV. That made it. They they won a lot of awards, I think, too. Yeah, right? but think about how many shows are on broadcast television on ABC, CBS, the CW, Fox, etc. And for only one of those shows to win an ultimate award, that's that's showing how the the life is changing. And I know that it's difficult because when you're you're Amazon and you're putting all your money behind one show, well, yeah, ABC would say, oh yeah, try to fill a whole slate of shows. And now Netflix is doing that. But man, when I look at the network uh, Netflix originals, I'm like, I'm not impressed by a majority of them. To be honest with you, so but someone's putting money into these things, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. We want to thank you so much for coming, Julio. Uh, but before we would let you go, uh, uh, Floors and Friends, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, I've seen uh, a couple episodes. You have a serious lineup of guests, and uh, I feel like that's very important. Are we um, ever gonna be on there too? <laughs> I've never How been, do I've people? Done, I don't think I've done a show like that. You mentioned Eventbrite. How do people go about uh, like purchasing the tickets or getting uh, in there for as an audience member? Yeah. Uh, so um, if you go to Eventbrite and just type in Flourish and Friends, there'll be a link to to get tickets. You can have, I believe, up to four, um, and it's free. And so it'll be Friday, January fourth. We'll be taping uh, episode, episode one of season one. three, um, and it'll tape from noon to four. Um, so certainly come out and check that out. Yeah. Beyond that, you know, we, we're doing it in different places cause we're, we're doing it like, you know, we want to give back to the community and they can come and see something that's a free event and see how TV production is. You know, it's so funny. We, we had plenty of episodes where we had some people who were so excited about the show that we made them a PA on the show and they've moved up from there cause they just had so much, they were so into it. And it's amazing how many PR companies and management companies will call and they're like, can I book my actor? Can I book my group? And it's just like a flood. Whenever they hear we have a new episode, I'm, oh, I have too much. And so, you know, when we tape, we usually tape two or three episodes at a time. So, and, uh, how, how long does, is the period of uh, taping? 
two, three episodes? Well, the way the pattern we have is that uh, it takes us about four hours. Uh, sometimes we'll go over. Sometimes, you know, we'll mix it up. Where you won't necessarily be watching a show where it'll be, you know, fluid all the way. We used to do that, but just for timescape, if we'll do all the interviews together, all the comedians together, uh, and then we'll do a lot of our sketches. That's one thing I wanted to tell you too is that we'll have sketches just like Saturday Night Live. Uh, we'll have an opening sketch. We Our little thing we say at the end is almost live from Los Angeles. It's Florence and Friends. <laughs> uh, we do a, a Top Ocho, which technically Top Ocho Plus Two, which is basically like Letterman's Top Ten. And everything kind of yeah. has a Latin flavor to it. And other little bits that we'll do. We do the Florist Report, which is kind of like weekend update. Yeah. And have a little guest at the end. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of parody, that kind of stuff. And you'll be amazed at how many actors will say to us when we're interviewing, why didn't you ask me to be in a sketch? So now when I go to Emmy events, I help people, and it's a lot, and I don't, and I can't recognize everybody because I'm not, I got a, got a good memory and that kind of stuff. And yeah. uh, people go, oh, I'm on this show. Oh, okay, I'd love to be on the show. And, and if I if I get to be on the show, could could I be in a sketch? You know? <laughs> and, Sketches are fun. Yeah, definitely. That'd and, be cool. And so when I met James Corden, he was really assuring uh, – reassuring to me um, and said that he says, you know, you end up having a thing where people remember you by, and if they want to be in a sketch, that's what you're being remembered for. Like my show is carpool karaoke. So you got to find a little signature thing that can help. But I'd say all the other hosts have been really supportive. Conan, I've met him at Emmy events and Seth Myers and and of course, James Corden as well. Wow. So congratulations on your successes and definitely uh, keep at it. And then what's the best way people could get in touch with you? Like, so they could catch uh, your show on Amazon right now. Yeah. 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 I would say, you know, you could go ahead and look me up on, on Facebook. Uh, You can look at Julio Flores, Fox Sports Radio. You know, originally when I was at Fox, I I actually didn't do social media, and they made us do it. So I just kept that handle. Uh, It's the same thing for Instagram, Julio Flores, uh, Fox Sports Radio. You know, send me a friend's request. If you want to direct message me, feel free to. And uh, Twitter to Julio on Fox is is that. And and, uh, floresandfriends.com is our website uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, definitely. We all try to help each other out, uh, you know, growing up, you know, I grew up in Orange County. It was very, very Republican, yeah. uh, staunch Republican. <laughs> and, uh, not un- until growing up in LA, you know, did I realize there was another viewpoint and that kind of stuff, um, and that kind of thing. So, but, you know, being, uh, Latino, uh, you know, certainly want to go ahead and, you know, help each other out, no, you know, for sure. that kind of stuff and the Armenian community too. <laughs> a lot in common. Yes, yes exactly. Yes. Well, Julio Flores, thank you so much. Everyone, thank you very please much. Check Julio. out uh, Flores and Friends uh, on January Fourth. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Yeah, we had a great time, man. Definitely. Thank you, Julio.